We're not going to answer all those questions today. And many, many more. We we just can't. We want to limit ourselves to what God says to Job in the book of Job. And so my intention this morning is is to help us to see the intersection of evil and suffering as it, as it collides with the book of Job. And so if you're not there already, I want you to turn there with me to Job chapter 41. Job chapter 41, 40 and 41. And we're going to see several things from this passage that we can learn. Remember, Job is wisdom literature. It's what we've been saying all along. And wisdom literature is primarily, it's primarily scripture that is aimed to forming your mind. Not your heart, like the Psalms, and your emotions, like the Psalms, but but your mind. And so there's several things that we can learn. There are wisdom lessons that we can learn. And, and, and as we unpack those, what those are, I want to recap what has happened. And, and you know the story, right? Job has experienced a devastating loss. Financial ruin, his family has died, his wife has forsaken him, his friends are criticizing him right and left, and he is suffering with physical pain, writhing with pain in his body. And he believes all this suffering is for no good reason. What did I do to deserve this, God? God, you are unfairly and unjustly punishing me. At worst, and maybe it came across Job's mind, but at at worst, God, you're cruel and evil to allow me, an innocent man, to suffer. And as the story unfolds, in Job, Job, his three friends, and then the fourth one, they come to him, and they offer solutions to the problem of evil. This is what has happened to you. This is what is happening in the world and in your life. But after 37 chapters, 37 long chapters, which were meant to read and dwell on and see the agony and pain Job is in, after that, we're meant to hear God speak. And we can't read it all this morning, but that's where we are. We're meant to hear God speak in chapter 38 when he finally speaks and he sets the record straight. He, he, he communicates to Job what Job is truly longing for in his heart. It's, and it's with God's speech that we learn, I think, three important lessons that we can take away about evil and suffering in our world. So lesson number one, lesson number one that we learned, that Job learned, is that evil and suffering has a place in our world. Evil and suffering have a place in our world. In chapters 40 and 41, we're introduced to two creatures, the behemoth and the leviathan. Now, I want to say that these These creatures, the precise identity of what these things are is is debated, all right? You should probably know that or or do know that. It's it's debated, right? Among Bible-believing 
Christian theologians and pastors, there are really essentially two views. I mean, there, there are more. There are many more, but maybe we could boil them down to two, and, and, and they're this. First of all, behemoth and leviathan are, are ordinary animals. Perhaps the hippopotamus and the crocodile. You might see a footnote in your Bible, hippopotamus and crocodile for these two creatures. Or some see them as uh, a dinosaur and a dragon, all right, because of what, how they're described. Okay, that's kind of one view. They're ordinary animals. Others, now again, Bible-believing Christian theologians and pastors, others see these creatures as symbols of evil and chaos in the world. Even going so far as to identify what, what the symbols are. So some say that behemoth represents death and Leviathan represents Satan. Now, I do not have the time and you do not want me to take the time to go through all of these views and all of these arguments and, and tell you why I have come to the conclusion that I have come to. Whatever the precise identity of these creatures, here's where I've landed. I do believe they are more than ordinary animals. I do believe God is using these creatures to speak to the evil and chaos in the world. Now let me give you four quick reasons why I say that. For you who care about this and are very interested in this, four quick reasons why these creatures represent evil in the world. First, if you look outside of the Bible, in this time period, in the time period of Job, it was common, and it still is today, it's common, it was common for stories of dragons, beasts, and serpents to represent evil and chaos. These stories were circulated, and Job then would have understood. He would have immediately understood. God didn't have to identify these things, these creatures. He would have understood what God was communicating, what these creatures represented. Think about here, think about your favorite fantasy novel and all of the beasts that are in that novel and what they represent. Similar stories were told in that time. And what I think is fascinating is God is using these stories, something Job is familiar with, that he knows that he can relate to, to communicate truth to him. I think this is amazing when you think about it. Right? Second, second reason why I think these are more than mere ordinary animals is inside the Bible, the word behemoth is ang actually the anglicized word, behema. That's the Hebrew word, behema. So we, we transliterate it to behemoth, and it simply means beasts. Now, what you got to know about this word is that it's always used in the plural, and when it's used in the plural, it represents, it's, it's describing a form of majesty, a form of royalty, which which lets us believe that this is more than one animal. That there's something more here. This is a sort of, what commentators say, a sort of super beast. right? This behemoth. It suggests more than a mere ordinary animal. The creature 
is something on another level, or at least represents something on another level. And Leviathan is similar. The word, the Leviathan, you will see it appear only four other times in Scripture. And in each place, if you look at it and you study it in each place, there is in the context symbolism of supernatural evil that God is using or that the writer is using to communicate using this creature, the Leviathan. That's the second reason. Third, what I understand and how I understand God here is that he is, in the first speech, opening to Job all of the natural creation. So he starts with creation, and then he moves to the animals, and then Job responds. And then in the second speech, God then moves beyond the natural creation and world to the supernatural world. The supernatural creation. The supernatural activity in what is happening. And this is why I think why I think we get different responses from Job. To the first speech, to the natural creation, Job responds with silence. Right? In Job chapter 40. We read that. Job 40 verses 3 and 4. To the second speech, Job responds how? How does he respond in chapter 42? Well, we read it. He responds with repentance. It's different. So no longer is he just silent. He actually repents. He actually comes to God and says, I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. So there's a different response here with Job. In essence, what God does is he pulls back the curtain. That's what I think he's doing. He's pulling back the curtain for Job to see in the second speech what he cannot see with his physical eyes. And number four, a hippo and crocodile simply don't fit the descriptions. Look with me at chapter 40, verse 24. Chapter 40, verse 24. Can anyone capture him? Speaking of the the behemoth, when he is on watch with barbs, can anyone pierce his nose? The problem with this is that in the ancient Near East, people, people were capturing hippos. They were doing it. They could be tamed. And the Leviathan is said to emit fire and smoke. Look at chapter 41, verse 19. Chapter 41, verse 19. Out of his mouth go burning torches, sparks and fire leap forth. Out of his nostrils smoke goes forth, as from a boiling pot and burning rushes. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know any crocodiles that emit smoke and fire. There are other questions that don't add up about what these creatures could be. So in summary, I think these creatures are used as symbols of evil and and the subsequent suffering that takes place in our world. But I admit, I admit this is a tough case. This has been the hardest sermon to prepare for in this whole series because this is just tough. This is just tough. But taking all the evidence together, I don't see how, I don't see how behemoth and leviathan are merely ordinary creatures. They may be some extinct creature that we don't know about, but if they are, if they are, they're pointing, I think, to a much deeper reality. To a much deeper reality. And, and here's the thing. You shouldn't have a problem with this because we see this in other places in the Bible. 
Take, for instance, Revelation. In Revelation, it talks about Satan. And who is Satan likened to? A dragon and a serpent. Now, are dragons and serpents ordinary creatures? You tell me. Are they or are they not? The point is, behemoth and Leviathan represent evil and suffering and chaos in our world. And, and here's now the point. Beyond what setting that stage, here's the point. This is precisely what Job would have understood God to be saying. Why? Because Job is questioning God's justice. He's questioning God's ways. Why am I suffering so much? But God is saying to Job that he is just, even though, look at all this evil and suffering that exists in the world, behemoth and Leviathan. In fact, in fact, there is greater evil and suffering than Job knows until God reveals it to him. I think that's why God goes into all this painstaking detail about these two creatures with Job, to show Job how much God knows about evil in the world in all its detail, and Job doesn't know the half of it. He doesn't know the half of it. He's putting Job in his place. Remember, this is what's happening to Job. Job is being humbled. Job is being humbled and put in his place. God, what God is doing... And again, this is wisdom literature now. What God is doing is he's reorienting Job to reality. Because in Job's suffering, Job drew into himself, like we said last time, and he lost touch with reality. It's what happens to us when we suffer. It's what happens to us when we see evil in the world. Job, you're you're suffering is to be expected in a world full of evil. That's what God is telling him. You know that I have the privilege to frequently travel to Sierra Leone. And uh, I recently was there. In fact, I just returned a few weeks ago. And we're in the capital city, and right on the main drag in the capital city, there was this, and I'll put it in air quotes, church. And on the building of this church, on the side, there was this huge sign that took up really about half of the the side of the building. And in, in big, bold letters, big, bold red letters, it said, Stop Suffering. And then underneath that, there was services for every day of the week, multiple times a day. And the first service was Monday, and it said the theme was prosperity and success. And then every service for every day of the week was a different theme. Now the irony about this, what I saw was literally across the street from this church, There was a woman sitting on the ground, on the concrete, just sitting there. And I knew this woman was suffering, and she had her hand out, and she was begging for money. And what was so heartbreaking about what I saw is there was this little girl, her daughter, who was laying literally 
flat line on the concrete, was not moving. I could tell she was sick, very, very sick. And as she was laying there, I saw pus was coming out of her mouth, just laying there. And, and, and across the street, there was this church that was saying, stop suffering. And you know why the woman couldn't stop suffering? She didn't have the money to enter the church to stop the suffering. It was such a stark wake-up call. Reality, again, once again, of the suffering and evil in our world. Listen, brothers and sisters, I don't know about you, but when I look at my own heart, and when I see all of the evil in the world, I am, I am so discouraged. I'm so depressed about it. And, and you know what? We can, be, we can become so numb. We can become so numb to the evil in our world. We, we no longer have the evening news with Walter Cronkite where you get your dose for the day. I mean, we literally have evil 24-7 right on our phones. Right in our face. And you know what God is doing to Job? God is taking the cell phone right to Job's face and he's saying, Job, look at the evil in the world. That's what he's doing. In this way, in describing these creatures of the behemoth and the Leviathan. But God doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop there. He doesn't leave Job in despair, as it were. He goes on with another lesson that he's communicating to Job. Something else he wants Job to know. And this is where Job starts to turn. This is where Job starts to have hope in the middle of his suffering. And God is saying this, lesson two, evil and suffering is limited by God. Evil and suffering is limited by God. You see, God doesn't only want Job to see the evil and suffering in the world. He wants Job to see that God limits, that he limits the evil and suffering in the world. And, and God does this over and over and over again in this passage. Look with me at Job 41, starting in verse 1. 41, verse 1. Can you draw out Leviathan with a fish hook or press down his tongue with a cord? Can you put a rope in his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he make supplications to you or will he speak to you soft words? Will he make a covenant with you? Will you take him forever as a servant? Will you play with him as with a bird? Or will you bind him for your maidens? I mean, the implication is obvious. God is in control of the Leviathan. He limits. He limits the evil in the world. How do you think this would have made Job feel? How do you think Job would have felt hearing this from God? Hearing these rhetorical questions sort of coming at Job, one after the other, right after the other. God just lays it before him, and Job has to say, yes, yes, I see, I see. And that's what he does say in chapter 42. I see now, God. I see 
that you can do all things, he says. Look at Job 42, verse 2. I know you can do all things that, that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Job says that once God reveals to him, yes, the evil, but yes, also the restraint of the evil in the world. This what Job says here, this is, not, this is not a general confession. This is not a catechism answer Job gives. This is a personal response of confession from a man who is starting to see reality clearly. He's coming back to his senses. He's seeing who God is. He's seeing the reality in the world. He's seeing the ways of God. You know, the other day we were on a family walk and we were walking in our neighborhood and uh, we approached this house and in the front yard there was this evil looking dog. I mean, this dog looked nasty and, and, and I don't know what kind of dog it was. And, and the thing was it, was, it was not on a leash and there was no fence. And so as we're getting closer... I'm starting to get a little bit concerned. Not necessarily for me. I could probably, you know, get the thing off me. I'm concerned for my five-year-old. And so as we're getting closer and closer, you know what the dog does? The dog gets closer and closer to us. Closer and closer to the sidewalk. And then it's just like, we passed it. And, and, it, didn't, and it, didn't, it didn't attack us. Well, what we didn't realize is there was an invisible fence, Right? How do you think that made me feel? I was relieved. I was so relieved. This is the way we're supposed to feel, brothers and sisters. This is how Job felt. This is how we're supposed to see, knowing that God restrains the evil in this world. Yes, it does exist. Yes, it is painful and it is unwanted. But God has placed limits on it. God has it on a leash. God limits the suffering in the world. Whatever suffering you're going through right now, whatever it is, if it's small, if it's major, whatever it is, know that it cannot escape the control of God. It cannot escape His power. In fact, God is limiting suffering in your life right now. You ever think about it like that? You think, man, I've got it bad. No, no. No, no. God is limiting it. He is limiting it. He is restraining all the evil in the world constantly. Constantly. Yes, evil does exist. But he says with Leviathan, evil and suffering is being restrained. And one day, and one day, it will be destroyed. It will be destroyed. And that's what we turn to in the final lesson that we see here. Lesson number three. Evil and suffering will be defeated and destroyed. Amen? <laughs> it will be defeated and destroyed. If God has the power to limit it, it will also one day be destroyed by God's power. And we get a glimpse of this with the behemoth and the Leviathan. God lets Job see a little bit of this. Look with me in chapter 40, verse 19. Chapter 40, verse 19. We see that the behemoth, it says, is the first 
of the ways of God. Let his maker bring near his sword to slay him. Let him slay him because he can and he will. And to the Leviathan in Job 41, look over at Job 41 verse 7. Can you fill his skin with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? Lay your hand on him. Remember the battle. You will not do it again. He will be defeated. He will be slain. God is telling Job that he will one day defeat and destroy evil. And so the natural question is, when will God do this? When will God do this? We don't see Job answering this, asking this question, but maybe he wondered, when will God defeat the behemoth and the Leviathan? Well, we, thankfully, brothers and sisters, we live in light of the full revelation of God. That's amazing. It's, it's our great benefit that we have on this side of the cross. And so let me say this. The greatest evil and suffering known to man was the killing of the innocent Son of God. But you know, in that great evil, in the great evil, what came about? In the greatest evil came about the greatest good. In the cross of Christ, evil was ultimately defeated. And the Apostle Paul says this. He says in Colossians 2.15, you don't need to turn there, but he says that God disarmed. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, these evil supernatural forces, and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. Evil and suffering has been defeated with good. It's been defeated with good. With what good? With the good of redemption. With the redemptive good of Jesus Christ. And because of the cross, one day, death, Satan, and sin itself will be not just defeated, it will be destroyed. God will make all things new. All things new. Take courage with this. Revelation 20 verse 10 says that the devil who has deceived them, who has deceived them, was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are also. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. They will be gone. And a few verses later in Revelation 21.1, then John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there is no longer any sea. All the evil and suffering that marks the present world will one day be destroyed. Our world will be made new. We will live on a new earth. There will be a new heaven. And Job, unfortunately, didn't quite know all of this. He didn't have all this full revelation that we have. But we do. So we take comfort in this. And so we can summarize the essence of the message that God was communicating to Job and he's communicating to us. This is the, as we've been talking about in our Bible interpretation class, this is the principalizing truth. 
that was relevant for Job and is relevant for us, and it's this. Evil and suffering do exist in our world, but God is limiting it until one day he defeats and destroys it entirely. That's what Job was communicating, or God was communicating to Job. Now, the question is, how should we respond to this? How should we respond to what God is saying? Well, I think that we should respond in much the same way that Job responded. How did Job respond? Let's read it. Job chapter 42, look at it with me. Job chapter 42, verse 2. I know that you can do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is it this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have declared that which I do not un- did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear now and I will speak. I will ask you and you instruct me. I have heard you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Here's what Job says. Therefore I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. Now this word repent here, the Hebrew word here, has the sense of changing your mind, changing your mind about your circumstances so that you're comforted in them. That's how it's being used here. This was true with Job. He finally, he finally at the end of the book took comfort in God even as, even as he experienced dash dust and ashes, the great suffering in his life. In other words, what Job is saying is that he turned to God even in his suffering. The dust and ashes here represent not a metaphor of mourning. They represent the suffering. It represents all that Job lost all that he experienced in the suffering. And we're finally able to see, he's finally able to see God clearly. He's finally able to see reality clearly. He's finally able to see his suffering clearly in light of who God has revealed himself to be. Now, I want to say there are two remarkable things that struck me when I was thinking about this, about Job's response. First, the first thing about Job's response is he, he repented he repented not really having been given a reason for why he was suffering so greatly. I mean, Job is never really given a reason why. All he's really been given is, is that, yes, Job, evil exists in the world, and yes, Job, I am just. And Job Job becomes satisfied with that. He, in essence, becomes satisfied with with the problem of evil. He becomes content with what he sees and what he has seen. And this is sort of review from what we've looked at. But, But Job realizes throughout the book in various ways that God is good, that God is just, that God is powerful, that God is wise. He, he realizes that about God, but he also realizes that suffering really does exist in the world. It does exist, and he comes to see that he is actually an innocent sufferer. 
It's not for some sort of sin that he is suffering. And the thing of it is, is Job realizes that all of that can coexist at the same time. At the same time. This knowledge is enough for Job. He sees God for who he truly, really is, and his heart is content without any specific reason. Any specific reason for why he's suffering. Job becomes content. He becomes satisfied with what God reveals. That's the first remarkable thing. The second remarkable thing that I find about Job's response, about his repentance here, is that it occurs before he is restored at the end of the book. So you know, you've read the end of the book, you know that Job is eventually restored to his prior health and to his prior wealth and to his prior family. Like, he's restored. But Job turns to the Lord before any of that happens. Job really does, as it turns out, and this is what this proves, it proves that Job really does worship God for God. God is the one who is ultimately vindicated here. Yes, Job is vindicated. But God is the ultimate one who is vindicated. In fact, this is so, this is so ironic to me that the whole ordeal that Satan wanted to set up at the beginning of the book, when he comes to God and he wants to, he wants to afflict Job with all of this suffering because he thinks that Job is worshiping God for all the blessings that God gives to him, that whole ordeal that Satan set up at the beginning In the end of the book, it turns out to be used for Job's good to draw Job closer to himself. What Satan meant for evil, God meant for good. And Job now sees God like he never has before. And so he repents. He repents. Friends, listen, there is so much evil and suffering in this world. So much evil and suffering in your life. Here's the message. You can right now in your heart, you can turn from that and you can turn to God and you can find him to be all satisfying and enough. Know your suffering and know the evil is not going to go away. Yes, thankfully God will restrain it. He will restrain it. It's not going to completely go away now in this life, in this age of where we live. But you can be satisfied. You can be satisfied. You can turn to him once again, knowing, knowing what I take rejoices and knowing that God has cleansed my evil heart. And he has cleansed your evil heart. And one day he will make all things new. And so we should turn to God once again. Just like Martin Luther said, the life, the Christian life, is a life of continual repentance. It's a life of continually turning to God again and again. And we should do that, especially in light of the events of this last week. You know that on Tuesday, an 18-year-old man entered Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas and opened fire and killed 19 children and two adults. 
It's, a, it's, a, it's just a reminder. It's a reminder, a brutal reminder. As God reminded Job in his way that evil and suffering exists in our world. But Christianity never stops there. It never stops with despair and hopelessness. We know unspeakable evil and suffering in the world. We don't deny it like some would. We don't deny it. But we also know the God who limits the evil and suffering in the world. And we know the God who will one day, who will one day ultimately defeat and destroy it forever and ever and ever. Because of the work of Christ. So you know what we do, brothers and sisters? You know what we do? We come to God once again. We come to him once again. We turn to him once again as our only source of rescue and hope from the behemoth and the Leviathan. That's what we do. We come to him again And we embrace him as our only hope because he is our only hope and he is the only hope for our evil and suffering world. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together.